In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two but one. But therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Our Lord was teaching in Judea, on the banks of the Jordan, to a great multitude. And they were listening closely to every word. And reports of what our Lord was saying reached some of the Pharisees who wanted to test him. So they asked our Lord to pass judgment in the Mosaic law. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Moses had permitted her divorce because of the hardness of heart of the chosen people. The condition of women at this time was ignominious. She could be put aside by her husband for virtually any reason. Moses required that the husband give the wife a certificate of repudiation and a bill of divorce so that she might be free to marry again. The prophets spoke out against divorce when they came to the promised land, were told in the book of Malachi. And so our Lord takes this opportunity to affirm the indissolubility of marriage as God originally intended at creation. And he quotes the words of Genesis, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. So they're no longer two, but one. But therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so our Lord declares that the unity and indissolubility of marriage has been established from the beginning. And this teaching was so surprising to the disciples that once they had left the crowd, they asked our Lord to explain it to them again. And so our Lord said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. If it would be hard to express the matter more clearly. His words were of an unmistakable clarity. We could wonder how it's possible that our Christians who call into doubt 
his teaching on marriage and continue to consider themselves followers of Christ. It's a fundamental duty of the church to reaffirm strongly the doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage. It's worth considering sometimes the, the Pope at the time of Henry VIII, who wanted his marriage dissolved and to, to proclaim himself head of the Church of England. And the Pope refused. If the Pope had given in, the world might have been more Catholic today in a certain sense, but it would have lost one of its great jewels to the truth about the institution of marriage and its indissolubility. And so we have a debt of gratitude to that particular Pope and that particular point for handing down the doctrine of Christ to us in all of its integrity. To all those who in our times consider it too difficult or impossible to be bound to one person for the whole of life or to those who are caught up in a culture that rejects the indissolubility of marriage or openly mocks the commitment of spouses to fidelity, it's necessary to reconfirm the good news of the definitive nature of that conjugal love that, that has in Christ the foundation and strength. And so one spiritual writer says, being rooted in the personal and total self-giving of the couple and being required by the good of the children, the indissolubility of marriage finds its ultimate truth in the plan that God has manifested in his revelation. The dignity and stability of marriage is of the greatest importance for the future of families, of children, and of society itself. The moral health of peoples is closely tied to the condition of matrimony. And when matrimony is corrupted, he says, then society itself is sick, perhaps gravely ill. This is why we need to pray and take care of families. Scandal can be converted into an opportunity to give good doctrine, to overcome evil, with an abundance of good. St. Maria in the Forge, number 104, says in national life, there are two things which are really essential. The laws concerning marriage and the laws to do with education. In these areas, God's children have to stand firm and fight with toughness and fairness for the sake of all mankind. When our Lord elevated matrimony 
the dignity of a sacrament, he was doing something completely unprecedented. A lady giving a talk to some final year students in a school in Manila one time said she often thought that our Lord could have made something else into a sacrament. He could have made getting up in the morning into a sacrament. But he wanted to take that natural union between a man and a woman and to emphasize that it could be a means to holiness. The transformation of marriage into a sacrament might be likened to the time in Cana when our Lord changed the water into wine. The book of Revelation, it says, Behold, I make all things new. And so Christ elevated the natural reality of Christian marriage to a supernatural plane. Marriage between non-Christians was also filled with grandeur and dignity. One writer says the ideal proposed by Christ to marry couples is infinitely greater than that of human perfection. It is a totally new concept. It literally means that the spouses receive divine life through the sacrament. This is what sustains their work of mutual perfection. This is what has to inspire their children from the moment of baptism. Those who marry begin a new life in the company of the Lord. God himself has called man and wife to follow this pathway of holiness. And so for a Christian, Marriage is not just a social institution, much less a remedy for human weakness. It's a real supernatural calling. A great sacrament, says St. Paul, in Christ and in the church. And St. Josemaria adds, it's a permanent contract that sanctifies in cooperation with Jesus Christ he fills the souls of husband and wife and invites them to follow him. He transforms their whole married life into an occasion for God's presence on earth. Pope John Paul I spoke of the greatness of matrimony through a group of newlyweds. He told them the story that in the last century, in France, there was a great professor called Frederick Ozanen. He taught at the Sorbonne and was eloquent and very capable. And one philosopher or author at that time, Lacordaire, said, he's so gifted, he is so good, he will become a priest. He will become a great bishop. But no, he said, he met a nice girl 
and they got married. Acordeo was disappointed and said, poor Osanam, he too has fallen into the trap. Two years later, Lacordaire came to Rome and received, was received by the Pope. And the Pope said, I've always heard that Jesus established seven sacraments. Now you come along and change everything. You tell me that he established six sacraments and a trap. No, he said, marriage is not a trap, it is a great sacrament. And so we should never forget that the first thing that our Lord chose to sanctify was the home. Christian sobriety leads to happy, generous families, which in turn produce vocations of total dedication to God, the very crown of the church. God often calls the children of generous parents to lead lives of virginity or celibacy. And these vocations are real treasures of which parents can present to our Lord in heaven. God took great care to prepare the family which would receive his son. Joseph of the house and lineage of David would serve as the earthly father on equal terms with Mary, the virginal mother. Our Lord wanted to show in his own family a shiny model of formation, protection and love. And so the documents of the church talk about the family as the primary vital cell of society. And in a certain manner of the church itself. And so the family has a sacred status, which deserves the veneration and attention of all its members, of civil society itself, and of the entire church. St. Thomas Aquinas compares the mission of parents to that of priests. Just as priests contribute to the supernatural growth of the people of God by the administration of the sacraments, the Christian family provides corporal and spiritual support. St. John Paul said that the family, God has wanted the family to be a school of virtues. Pope St. John Paul had many beautiful phrases about the family, school of deeper humanity, school of the soul, school of love. Our children are formed as good citizens and good sons and daughters of God. And so in the fours, number 689, St. Maria says it is in the midst of family life that each person, person finds his or her own vocation. You should be full of wonder at the goodness of our Father God, 
Are you not filled with joy to know that your home, your family, your country, which you love so much, are the raw material which you must sanctify? St. Paul wrote to the Christians of Galatia, with all the tenderness of a father and a mother. He knew of the difficulties they were experiencing in their newfound, <clears throat> in their newfound faith. Paul suffered at his inability to look after these believers who live so far away. My little children, he said, with whom I am again in travail until Christ is formed in you. He compares them to the child in a mother's womb. The apostle felt a paternal responsibility for his children in need. The church teaches us that people who foster our faith through preaching and baptism should also be seen as parents. We participate in the spiritual paternity of the many Christians whom we've been, we've helped to find Christ. And sometimes that formation entails suffering and fatigue. And this paternity increases to the degree of one's generosity. The church teaches us that the family is that first school of virtues, a domestic church. The role of parents in forming their children humanly and spiritually cannot be replaced. And so it's good for parents to bring this to their prayer in a regular way. How can I foster more formation in my children? How can I teach them by word and example? how to practice different virtues, or communicate the truths, the beautiful truths of marriage and the family with my life and sometimes with my silence. God manifests his fatherhood to Christians like a teacher, says St. Thomas Aquinas, who instructs not only his disciples, but whoever is capable of understanding him. And this spiritual paternity is an important part of the earthly reward which God grants to those who respond to a divine vocation. St. Maria in the Way, number 779, says, He is generous. He returns a hundredfold. And this is true even of children. Many deprive themselves of children for the sake of his glory. And they have thousands of children of their spirit. Children, as we are children of our Father in heaven. Every effort that mothers or fathers make to form their children, God repays them a hundredfold later on. As an American educationalist, likes to tell parents that no is also a loving word. 
when children need to hear those loving words of de denial from time to time. Even if they react, they know there is truth there, there is love there. And when they're told no, will they also learn from that how to say no to themselves sometimes. They know it's for their own good. Our Lady exercises her maternity over Christians and over all mankind. And so Our Lady will teach us how to have a magnanimous soul, large enough for the many people that we want to bring to her son. A magnanimous soul so that we become experts in this business of family building and home building, which may change as children grow or as situations develop. Our role may change. We may have different things to contribute at different stages of our life all founded on prayer. St. Ambrose says, let us remember furthermore that merciful love also means the cordial tenderness and sensitivity so eloquently spoken of in the parable of the prodigal son and also in the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Consequently, merciful love is supremely indispensable between those who are closest to one another, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between friends. And it is indispensable in education and in pastoral work. According to the flesh, there is only one mother of Christ. According to the faith, Christ is the fruit of all of us. St. Maria says if we become identified with Mary and imitate her virtues, we will be able to bring Christ to life through grace in the souls of many who will in turn become identified with him through the action of the Holy Spirit. If we imitate Mary, we will share in some way in her spiritual motherhood. And all this silently, like Our Lady, without being noticed, almost without words, through true and genuine witness of our lives as Christians, and the generosity of ceaselessly repeating her fiat, or be it done unto me, which we renew as an intimate link between ourselves and God. St. Paul identified himself with Christ and his teaching, particularly the teaching, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Our role in the family is to be the good shepherd. St. Paul felt responsible for the many souls who had been converted through his preaching. He wanted to keep them on the right path. And this was his constant preoccupation. It was also the cause of his gracious suffering. Who is weak and I am not weak. 
who is made to fall and I am not indignant. And so these sentiments of St. Paul can be very relevant for that mission of parenting that God has given to us. Second Vatican Council says that parents should take care of the faithful whom they've begotten by baptism and their teaching. Our love for those that we have brought closer to Christ is not a mere superficial affection. It's the same love that our Lord has for us. One writer says, what does the child's love for others generate in him? The same desire of that of the son, their sanctification and salvation. And so that love will make us more concerned for others, for our children, our extended family, our cousins more concerned for them in their pursuit of sanctity. And so we'll try and give greater example, maybe of eternal correction when necessary, a word of encouragement, joy, optimism, good advice, so that our children can always, at all times, can count on our daily prayer and mortification. St. Joseph can teach us a great deal about how to look after all the members of our family. St. John Paul said, why should the fatherly love of Joseph not have had an influence upon the filial love of Jesus? And vice versa. Why should the filial love of Jesus not have had an influence upon the fatherly love of Joseph? thus leading to a further deepening of their unique relationship. Those most sensitive to the impulses of divine love have rightly seen in Joseph a brilliant example of the interior life. And so we can ask Our Lady and St. Joseph to help us to grow, to perfect that job, that mission of parenting, of founding a family, of looking after it, and everything that that entails, that they might help us to grow in that whole mission and vocation and be with us always as we fulfill that task. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.